0: Why do we gather as a church? Was it that some pastors got together and said, We we really need to make a plan because we need to make sure that all our financial donors get an opportunity to give from Sunday to Sunday? So let's get together every Sunday. Good idea. (laughs) But that's not what it's about. The church was God's invention, it's God's idea. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. And what is um, interesting is that the church, and they'll have to help me, but I don't think the clicker is working. The, the church is in the Greek called the Ecclesia. And um, wh- what intrigues me quite often is that. The Holy Spirit never asked the authors of the New Testament to go and invent new words. They used existing words. But the inspiration of the Holy Spirit enriched those words, ennobled them, enhanced them. And and this word basically just means a body called out or a body called together by proclamation. And this is so beautiful about the church because we have literally been called out. And we have been called together. And there is a caller after, and his name is Jesus. And he's the head of the church. And that is why we, we, we gather. And uh, so I want to speak to you this morning, if I can give you the title of, of my sermon, I want to speak to you about the gathering of the church. Now, I just said to you now that the word ecclesia speaks about a body called together. A body gathering together. So there is kind of tautology in this uh, in this uh, sermon title. Does anybody know what tautology is about? You you missed that t- class <laughs> in school. Let me help you. <laughs> tautology is basically a grammatical figure of speech, and it is the use of uh, two different words unnecessary and usually unintentionally, because one word would have sufficed. The second word, or or even the first one, would be superfluous. Great. Thanks. And if you you did miss that class in school, I'll give you some examples. Um, I'll give you a short summary. (laughs) That was the first example, by the way, (laughs) because the summary is short. It'll only take a brief moment. That was the second example. Let me repeat again. Okay, you're getting it. Because I want to give this top priority. I feel it's a necessary requirement. Okay, that should be adequate enough. Now, what amazes me is the Holy Spirit did not use unintentional, but intentional tautology quite often in the New Testament. In fact, there's one place in in the Bible, in, in Acts 14 and verse 27, in the English translation, the New King James, there is, I don't know if there is anything like that, triple tautology, because it says, they had come and gathered Together, the church. So I'm going to speak about the gathering of the gathering because that's what the church is all about. And uh, I, I need to say this. I know it's very logical, but you cannot gather on your own. <laughs> Unless you maybe have overindulged in the meal and you kind of have to gather yourself together <laughs> before they take a group photo of you. and and I want you to listen to to what I'm saying thank God for Christian TV I'm all for it but Christian television cannot replace your local church you need to realize that thank God for what we can get on the internet Uh, I, I heard somebody actually put it this way this is your electronic fellowship on the web this is your online church, high-tech church. Well, if that's the church you're going to, I have news for you, you might not know this, but you're part of the geek orthodox. And I found this quote, this amazed me because this is an evangelist. This is not a shepherd, a pastor speaking, but this is a British evangelist. And he said these wise words Being plugged into a good church is better than listening to a podcast from a great church. Involvement beats eavesdropping. (laughs) That's great. And when you read the Bible, you'll find in the New Testament, quite often the church is described in terms of togetherness. The church is, is, is described as a family, a flock, a, a body, a building, and it speaks about that, that gathering together. Now I know, I've heard people say this, but I can worship God in my garden. Well, you could, and you should. Now, I know I'm At the risk of giving my age away, but can anybody remember Jim Reeves? Okay. Jim Reeves had a very nice song called My Cathedral, and he kind of spoke about how he appreciated uh, worshiping God in, in, in nature. He spoke about the ceiling being the sky and the hills being the high walls and the the stream providing the, the music and the flowers were the altar, uh, fragrantly giving out incense and the grass was the carpet and the, and the uh, uh, trees were the pillars and the stars were the candles. And it's, it's a nice song. But I want to say this to you. Even though you might enjoy nature, that does not replace your gathering with the saints. Even if you have a nice flower garden, you cannot have meaningful fellowship with frisias, fuchsias, frangipanis, and other flowers. (laughs) Or (laughs) maybe you have a vegetable patch, and you like working in that and enjoying God's creation again. But you cannot have constructive companionship with cabbages, cucumbers, and cauliflowers. You need people. That's how God designed the church. Now, here's here's another uh, way of giving my age away. There was a a movie called Paint Your Wagon. (laughs) Some of the younger people, you need to go and Google that. And this is a very interesting movie. And I'll tell you why I, I wanted to speak about it. Because... There are two songs in the movie. The one is by Lee Marvin called Wandering Star. That's what some Christians are. They're wandering stars. But the, the other one that really struck me was, and you might not believe it, but this song was sung by Clint Eastwood. The only time ever they never asked him again to sing. <laughs> and and this is a, is a very interesting song because it says the following: it says. I talk to the trees but they don't listen to me. I could have told you before you start. <laughs> it's great I enjoy nature. I'm I become aware of God's presence in nature, but I tell you what, you need people. You need the gathering of the saints. And it's so vital. You can be a soldier without an army, but you will not win many battles. You can be a rugby player or a soccer player without a team, but you will not score many goals or tries. And when I say that you need a church, I'm not referring to the building because the, the building is not the church, but the church is a building. It's a spiritual building. It's a spiritual structure. And uh, you are, are God's building. You are God's temple. It's vital to, to see that. The church is not a place. It's a people. Now, I, 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 maybe I'm oversensitive to this, but I, I know that it's been ingrained in us. We will often say to people, welcome in the house of the Lord. That's actually not scripturally correct. We should just leave a, a little word out there and say, welcome, house of the Lord. Because you are the house of the Lord. He dwells in you. And we, we need each other. And, and this is a beautiful building, but this is not the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. If this was his house, it means we're just visiting him on Sundays. During visiting hours. And the baptistry maybe is his bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Let me quote another evangelist. Reinhard Bonker says it so clearly. He says, a Christian believer needs a church just as a candle needs a candlestick. I can hear him saying that. A tree needs soil. An electric light bulb needs a socket. Without a candlestick, a candle cannot stand. Without soil, a tree cannot grow. Without a socket, an electric bulb cannot shine. Neither can you. Without fellowship, a Christian can neither stand nor grow nor shine. You need the church. And I I, I want to read uh, quite a few scriptures from the book of Acts. I want to start with this one in Acts 2 and verse 42. Um, And and it's very interesting. This is the the infant church. Remember, it's the same chapter that speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it says this in verse 42, that they, the believers, the church, uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now listen to this, four things in this verse that are vital for the church, and all four of these things are about interaction. Let me speak about the first one and the last one that Luke mentions here. He speaks about the doctrine of the apostle, the teaching, the preaching. Obviously, we come together to hear from God. And then the last one he mentions is also an interaction with God where he speaks about prayers when we speak to God. But in the middle of the sandwich, there's the filling that speaks about how important it is for us as believers to have fellowship with each other and to break bread with each other. I don't believe it only speaks of communion. I I think it speaks of communal meals. Just sharing time together. And and a key factor of the church in the early days was fellowship. In fact, another translation puts it this way. It says, they devoted themselves. So it was not something that they they just did once off. It was a regular thing. They gathered. uh, If you read in the New Testament, they gathered every day. Or at least once a week on the first day of the week. So fellowship is a vital aspect to church life. We need that fellowship. Now I'm always intrigued by words. So I wanted to know what the word fellowship means. I'm, I, I, I like etymology which is the, uh, the study of the origin and development of words. Don't confuse it with entomology by the way. <laughs> which is the study of insects. Well, it's more or less the same thing because it bugs me if I cannot find the meaning (laughs) of a word. (laughs) But if we start with the last part of the word, fellowship, ship speaks about a shape that you are in, and uh, so fellowship doesn't speak about two fellows in one ship. It, It speaks about a condition that you find yourself in, but. I found it quite interesting that our English word fellowship comes from an Old Norse word and it speaks about the state of sharing. It's a compound word made up of two words, fair for money. you, You can hear the word fee in there and then lag for to lay. So literally this word fellowship originally spoke about a partnership where you invested something, where you put something on the table. And let me say this, fellowship is going to cost you. You need to invest in relationships. You need to put something, bring something to the table. And it's vital for us uh, uh, to do that. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to give you a number of reasons why we gather and how we should gather. I'm going to give you certain keywords. I was amazed when I started researching this. And I found out that there were so many scriptures actually speaking about this kind of fellowship. And coming together. And I will not be able to even mention all of the scriptures. But please go and, and, and search them in the New Testament. And here's the amazing thing. Not just two or three witnesses, many, many witnesses speaking about coming together. And if you have someone, and I'm not speaking about the guys who were at It's Time yesterday, but those who, who kind of have a habit of missing the services, please give them the recording of this sermon. Because when they reach this stage, they will know, they will catch the hint. Why you told them to listen to this? Because you were not here. <laughs> you should have been here. But let me give you certain keywords that will help you to understand why we actually gather together as a church like this. And the first keyword is adoration. Adoration. We, it's all about God. He's number one. That's our primary purpose, that's our first ministry. Before we minister to each other, we minister unto the Lord. It's so amazing if you read. That scripture in Acts 2, again, uh, that it speaks about the fact that they continue to meet together. That's verses 46 and 47. Every day they met in the temple and in homes, and and it speaks about praising God. Adoration, worship, praise, those things are vital for our gathering. Without that, it becomes meaningless. Because Jesus should be at the center of everything. Now, incidentally, Jesus is the first one, in fact, the only one in the Gospels that mentioned the word church, because he's the builder, the founder of the church. And he speaks about that in two passages, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, he mentions these words where two or three are gathered together in my name. And that is a key in his name not that makes our gathering different to anything else it's all about jesus it's not about anybody else amen, amen. and i know this might not be appropriate but let me quote another song older one of john oh, lennon <laughs> it's a song that never made sense to me <coughs> if you read the lyrics but i think this is a song that some celebrity ministers Sin because it says, Come together right now over me. It's not over you, it's not over anyone else, it's all about Jesus, and we need to glorify Him. That's the main thing that we need to do. And it's interesting that it says in Acts 13 uh, that the church at Antioch ministered to the Lord. That's the first thing that they did. And when they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit started speaking. Do you want God to speak to you? Then lift him up first. And God will manifest himself. He will draw all people unto him. So, it's, it's vital. Let me get to the second key word. We gather for adoration, but also for supplication. In adoration, we give worship to God. In supplication, we ask of God. And yesterday's event was mainly focused on supplication, I believe. Asking God and declaring things uh, about our nation. Now, it's vital that we need to realize the power of corporate prayer. Yesterday's event was so significant. If you look at the, the church in the early days again, the first thing that they do that they did immediately after Jesus ascended, it says in Acts 1 and verse 14 that they all met together and they were constantly united in prayer. Wow. That says something about the success of that church. And if we want the same kind of results. Then we need to, to follow that. In, um, in Acts 4 and verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together, there's that phrase again, was shaken. Corporate prayer has shaking power. Amen. And that's why I believe yesterday was such an important uh, occasion. In in Acts 12, we read it again. And over and over in the book of Acts, it says, many were gathered together praying. And that's when God supernaturally released Peter from, from prison. God will do something when we get together to pray. So don't misunderstand me. There is a place for individual prayer. But there's also a place for corporate prayer. There is a, a time for personal prayer, but there's a time for communal prayer. And when we get to the, uh, the next reason for our gathering, you'll see how important it is uh, to be in unity uh, in prayer constantly. Because here's the, f- the third key word. Harmonization. Harmonization is such a key thing. Unity, agreement with others. Now, we read Matthew 18 earlier where Jesus said, where two or three gather in in my name, uh, I will be in the the midst of them. Here, uh, I want to take us back to verse 15 of this passage. And it starts off, and Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you. Now, why does he say brother? Because it's usually the brothers who sin. Come on, ladies, you missed a good opportunity to say amen. (laughs) Now, here's something interesting. In the Greek, the word brother, especially when it's used in in the plural form, has the same meaning as sibling in English. It includes both genders. Okay, so if your brother or sister (laughs) sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So the whole... Passage here is about reconciliation, about unity, about dealing with with unforgiveness, with division, with all of uh, these things, bitterness, etc., etc. But the the verse that I want to focus on is verse nineteen, and Jesus says here, "If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." And there's a very very interesting. Uh, a Greek word that is used there. The, the word for agree is the word symphonio Where we get our word symphony from. And it literally means uh, making one sound together. And I appreciated your reference to the philharmonic orchestra. Whoever uh, spoke about that. Because philharmonic literally means Philia speaking about love and harmonica, to love harmony. And that's what the church is about. And you here this morning, you are actually God's philharmonic orchestra. You are God's symphony orchestra. And here's the beauty of, of this. Please listen to me. If you've ever been to a philharmonic orchestra or symphony orchestra performance, when they start out, they don't make harmony. Because right in the beginning, the conductor comes in the old times before all the electronic instruments. He had uh, a tuning fork. It was a a skinny kind of um, U-shaped instrument. That's what it looked like. So you don't have to go and Google that, young people. (laughs) But that tuning fork gave... The note, I think it's the A above middle C. And then all the instruments had to be tuned in on the same uh, frequency. So it helped them because while they're tuning in, it's not a symphony. It's a cacophony. (laughs) Doesn't sound great. But then when they start playing, they make beautiful, harmonious music. And here's what I thought about. The instruments in a symphony orchestra, are so different. Different styles, they make different sound. You have, you have strings, you have uh, uh, percussion, you have wind instruments, you have all of these different uh, instruments. And they don't even play the same note. But they make harmony. And here's the beauty. God made you unique. You don't have to be like someone else. But God wants you to be in harmony with the church. God wants you to strive for that unity, for that agreement. And, and here's the, the beauty of this. Our harmony comes from this tuning fork. The Bible is our tuning fork. We come here with different agendas, but when we come here, we, our minds are renewed according to the word. And just by the way, I'm not the conductor, the Holy Spirit is. And he brings us together in unity and in harmony. And that's what the church is is about. It's very interesting if you go and study the book of Acts that at least seven times you'll find this phrase, in one accord. And incidentally, that also comes from the heart and the the chord that you would play in in, in music. And I want to read this scripture to you in, in, in Romans 15. And that's such an amazing scripture from the message. It says, may our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you. So that you get along with each other. As well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir. Not our voices only. But our very lives singing in harmony. In a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. That's church. When we harmonize, hallelujah, I think I have time for one more key word, a very important one. When we gather, it should be about non-discrimination. And very early in the book of Acts, God made His intent known, and God actually uh, spoke these prophetic words, and uh, he said, "Your sons." And your daughters will prophesy. Your young men and your old men. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. I'm not sure where I'm at at this stage. I'm kind of in the middle of (laughs) visions and dreams. (laughs) But God does not in any way discriminate on the basis of gender or on age. He says every kind of people... Uh, I I like the scripture in the book of James where it speaks about when someone comes into your meeting and he says there's a rich person and there's a poor person. Don't treat them with prejudice. Treat everybody the same way. And And he speaks very clearly about not showing partiality. When you come together, there should not be any kind of prejudice, or discrimination, or partiality. Not based on race, ethnicity, culture, gender, age, economic status. Doesn't matter what it is. Now, I remember when I grew up, there was a, uh, a, a movement, a church, called, based on British Israelism. I don't know if you ever heard of British Israelism. I don't want to give them notoriety, but here's basically what they said. When Israel was... Um, exiled in Babylon in 722 BC. They spent uh, many years there and eventually returned to to Israel to their homeland. But not all of them. Only two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. The other ten tribes are called the lost tribes because they intermingled, intermarried between uh, other nations and, and they really lost their unique identity. But British Israelism erroneously says, no, they didn't get lost. They migrated to the United Kingdom. (laughs) The Hebrew word for that is rabish. History doesn't support that at all. Because here's the basis then of, of their whole philosophy. Only white Anglo-Saxon English-speaking people are really the chosen people of God. That goes so against the message of the Bible. What what Jesus said. Now, I, I, I made the mistake... Of, In a Church of England Cathedral in the center of London, I preached along these lines and suddenly just said, I don't know why I said it, but I did. I said, we should not speak about the Church of England. (laughs) And I could see the shock on the faces of the people. I said, because the Church doesn't belong to England. It would be better to speak about the Church in England. Because it's the church of Jesus Christ. Not the Pope nor the Queen can be the head of the church. There's one head of the church and that's Jesus Christ. And no nation or no ethnic group has a franchise on the kingdom. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said in Mark eleven seventeen, he speaks about the Old Testament the house of God. He says, shall my house not be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's what church is about. My time is up. I have about 75 more key words to give you. <laughs> I'm going to share some of them in the second service, I think. But, uh, but I want to finish with a story. I heard about an African-American in the south of the USA wanting to go into a church building, and when he got to the door, they wouldn't let him in. And he was so disappointed and actually sad and started weeping on the, sitting on the street there on the sidewalk and saying, God, look at this. They wouldn't allow me into this church. I wanted to go into that church, but they, they wouldn't let me. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I've been trying for the last 50 years to get into that church. (laughs) (laughs) Wish I had more time to share with you, but I just wanted to encourage you with very simple key words that, that would actually just describe why we gather together. And I want us to stand. And I want us to make this commitment to the gathering. That we will not get into the habit of neglecting the gathering. But that we'll make this commitment. That we, like the early church or the church in the early days, would be able to say that we are devoted to fellowship. Will you pray with me? Father, as we stand before you, we we realize how awesome this occasion is this is not just out of custom or tradition or habit but this is part of your great eternal plan and help us to realize how important it is to gather together like this let us come here first of all to worship you to give you all the glory and the honor and thank you Father that when we do that We can also receive from you what we need. Thank you, Lord, that we can deal with issues in relationships, that we can strive for unity, that we will maintain the unity in the spirit so we can give you the glory and the honor. And let there not ever be any trace of prejudice in our hearts. Thank you for removing all of that so that we can really become the true church that you wanted us to be. We ask that in Jesus' name. And while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I don't wanna miss this opportunity. If you are here, you heard about the church, the family of God, and you're not sure whether you're part of that family, I wanna give you an opportunity to become part of that family, it's so easy. How do you become a family member? You're born into that family. And Jesus said, we need to be born again to become part of his family. A spiritual birth. If you cannot recall such a moment in your life. I'd like to pray for you. Just in your seat where you are. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just as a token so that God can see your heart. And, and just to help me to see if there's anybody that I need to pray with. Quickly slip up your hand if you want to be uh, included in that prayer. And you want to accept Jesus and become part of the family of God. If that is you. Quickly wherever you are. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Right at the back there. Thank you. Let's pray together. Can you all pray this after me? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Cleanse me, forgive me and make me brand new. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus died in my place so that I can receive the gift of eternal life. I take it now. By grace, through faith, I'm your child. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.